Welcome to the Christadelphian Classics Podcast, brought to you by Wilderness Voice. His Days and His Ways. This is an appendix written by Brother C.C. Walker to the My Days and My Ways of Robert Roberts. Chapter 37. After Dr. Thomas's Death, Renunciationism. My Days and My Ways, an autobiography, ended with chapter 36. What follows is by a later hand. The autobiography originally ran through three volumes of Good Company, a magazine edited by the deceased from 1890 to 1894, when it expired. The volumes have for a long time been out of print. But though the magazine in question died then, the author of the foregoing survived for four years more, dying in 1898, so that there remained 27 years of his days and his ways to be accounted for. Few and evil days, as he was wont to say, taking up the words of Jacob before Pharaoh, Genesis 47 verse 9, without the least trace of affectation. The writer of this appendix bespeaks the forbearance of the few in the land of the living who may be affected by anything he may say concerning the controversies that have arisen since the death of Dr. Thomas. His aim is rather to illustrate the ways of providence in the modern contention for and keeping of the truth than to propitiate or offend individuals. Taking up the thread of the autobiography, or looking back a little perhaps, we find ourselves in interesting times, 1870. The magazine gave Brother Roberts a good vehicle for the testimony of the truth, and he was not slow to make the best use he could of it. A certain Dr. Angus, president of the Baptist College, London, published three letters in the Christian world in defence of the now almost obsolete doctrine of eternal torments. The editor of the Christadelphian replied to these in October, November and December in a series of articles afterwards published in pamphlet form under the title Everlasting Punishment not eternal torments. The pamphlet is still current. The final fall of the temporal power of the papacy occurred in September 1870, and it has been remarked as a matter of surprise by some that it did not attract more attention and comment in the magazine. The reason doubtless is that it was overshadowed by the apparently greater event of the overthrow of the French Empire in the Franco-Prussian War, and time is needed to see the world events in their true perspective. Not that the matter was unnoticed, far from it, but it was more clearly understood and expounded in after years. Among the activities of this time we notice the establishment of the Christadelphian Children's Magazine, September 1871 a third series of which has just come to an end, due, among other things, to the war conditions at present prevailing. It was a very small affair in those days, but nonetheless valuable on its own scale, 
As to illustrations, photo-processed blocks were unknown, and the woodcuts were rather erratic in their appearance, and a serio-comic element sometimes obtruded itself in the puzzle pictures. But the children loved their magazine, and they were certainly helped by it to love their Bibles and to remember their Creator in the days of their youth, which was the whole aim and object of the enterprise. The little community whose proportion stirred the contempt of David King, as aforesaid, kept growing, and some statistics in July 1872 tell us that there were throughout the world 299 additions to the numbers in the year 1871-2. By and by these statistics were dropped as it was realised that mere numbers meant nothing in view of the Lord saying about many called, few chosen. And it was also felt that the incident of David's numbering Israel, rightly regarded, was a deterrent. So from that day to this, no statistics have been compiled. Now, in the United Kingdom, the national necessity compels the numbering of the young men. All that are able to go forth to war, Numbers 1 verse 3. We notice that whereas the Lord of Moses, which is the Lord of God, Malachi 4 verse 4 and Numbers 1 verse 1, fixes the age at twenty years old and upward. The British government fixes it at 18 years old and upward. By the way, a Jew recently pleaded the law which says, When a man hath taken a new wife, he shall not go out to war, but he shall be free at home one year, and shall cheer up his wife, which he hath taken. This from Deuteronomy 24 verse 5. But the tribunal did not admit the plea. How much better is the Lord of God in Israel than the Lord of men in Britain? But we're digressing. The Fraternal Gathering of 1872 is the next event that arrests our attention. It was held in Birmingham on August the 10th, 11th, 12th and 13th and is fully reported in the 76-page double number of the Christadelphian. The report, subsequently appearing as a separate pamphlet under the title of The Meaning of the Christadelphian Movement. The first meeting was in the Athenaeum on the Saturday evening. Brother Turner presided and delivered an address of welcome to the assembled visitors from over thirty places all over the country. Brethren Shuttleworth, Meakin, Whitcomb, Smith, Townsend and Roberts followed with words of welcome and Brethren Bosher and Andrew, both of London, responded for the visitors. The proceedings were introduced and concluded with singing and prayer. On the Sunday morning there was a large meeting, over 300, in the Temperance Hall for the breaking of bread. The order observed was almost exactly that which still remains. Brother Bosher presided, and he, together with others, addressed the meeting in exhortation. Among these were Brethren Handley of Malden, Smith of Edinburgh, J.J. Andrew of London, Ellis of Liverpool, and Roberts, Birmingham. In the evening there was a lecture by Brother E. Turney of Nottingham. 
on an understanding of the Bible, the great want of the age. Followed by another by Brother Roberts, Birmingham, on the divine solution of the problems of the day. On Monday, August the 12th, there was a meeting in the Athenium in the morning at which various brethren spoke, as Brethren Bosher, Andrew, both of London, Butler, Birmingham, Bannister, Derby, D. Clement, Mumbles, Yardley, Leicester, W. Clement, Mumbles, Dashper, Devonport, Dunn, Birmingham, and Ellis of Liverpool. In the evening there was a meeting in the Temperance Hall, the Athenium proving inadequate for the accommodation of those present. On Tuesday there was a muster at the Athenium and a railway journey to Alton to Dr. Thomas's house, which he did not live to occupy. Here a tent was erected in the grounds and lunch was provided. The company were photographed, the report telling us with delightful naivety that the portraits are recognisable. We can bear witness to the truth of this, having only recently come across an old faded copy of the picture, and recognising several, though the figures are small. Forty-four years have sadly thinned the ranks. There are not many survivors now. There were more meetings, both at Alton and in the Temperance Hall in the evening. Among the names of the speakers we notice one who subsequently went over to Rome, and others who had led controversies against the truth. But some have kept the faith, and nearly all have now gone the way of all the earth. The gathering was a great success. Dr. Thomas, His Life and Work A biography which began, as the doctor smilingly complained, before he was dead, was announced in January 1873 and was announced as now ready in August. Although rather heavy in parts, it is an interesting narrative and illustrative, as the author says, of the process by which the truth has been extricated in modern times from the obscuration of Romish and Protestant tradition. It contained a good steel-engraved portrait of Dr. Thomas, but the block, a costly one, has vanished during the forty years wandering in the wilderness. The book is still in active circulation. Just at this time, June 1873, there arose the renunciationist controversy which threatened to undo Dr. Thomas's work with regard to a vital element of divine truth. It concerned the nature of Christ, his relation to Adam and humanity, and the nature of his sacrifice for sins. Edward Turney of Nottingham, who had figured prominently at the fraternal gathering, issued in eight-page pamphlet form a series of 32 questions and answers concerning Jesus Christ. He acknowledged his indebtedness for the ideas put forth to David Handley of Malden, who also took part at the gathering. The first lines of the concluding paragraph of this pamphlet ran as follows. Brethren and friends, 
Whatever I have taught by mouth or pen, contrary to the views of Jesus Christ herein set forth, I now renounce. Whence have arisen the uncouth technicalities, renunciationist and renunciationism? Unhappily the things renounced were true, and the things espoused were fables. These really and truly amounted to a phase of the old Gnostic heresies, the germs of which troubled the apostles themselves, especially John, who is very severe on men who confess not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh, 1 John 4 verse 3, and who thus manifest the spirit of Antichrist. Brother Turney excluded Jesus from Adam's posterity by defining that phrase to mean every human being who has been born of two human parents, question and answer number nine. An essential difference was alleged to exist between Jesus and the posterity of Adam, question eleven. So much so that Jesus Christ was not a son of Adam, question thirteen. It was alleged that God gave life to Jesus direct from himself, as he did to Adam, question 18, another palpable untruth, and that, in consequence, the body of Christ was not under condemnation, question 19, but possessed a free, unforfeited life. Consequently, it was alleged that Christ himself was not redeemed by his own sacrifice, questions 24 and 27, and might himself alone have entered into possession of life eternal. And many other similar statements were made. These things were laid before the brethren in a lecture in the temperance hall on July the 28th, 1873, and on the next night Brother Roberts delivered a reply lecture on the slain lamb, in which the true doctrine of the nature and sacrifice of Christ were set forth. This lecture is still current in pamphlet form. A few of the personalities of so long ago have been eliminated as unworthy of perpetuation. It is, of course, controversial. A more simple and expository setting forth of the matter appearing in another pamphlet by the same author entitled The Blood of Christ. The controversy produced the usual crop of pamphlets and bitterness and separations, the echoes of which even now have not quite died away. But it was productive of a much better understanding of the purpose of God in Christ. A rival magazine was started in opposition to the Christadelphian, but it flickered out after a few years and with the death of Edward Turney in 1879, the movement subsided. The doctrines advanced by renunciationism are being revived with embellishment by the Russellite movement of the present day. But it is only just to the memory of Edward Turney to exonerate him from anything quite so monstrous as the late Pastor Russell's doctrine of ransom. The work and worry entailed by this controversy brought on a severe illness, necessitating recuperation at a hydropathic establishment. From this seclusion, however, 
Brother Roberts contributed to the magazine, dictating one article in particular to an amanuensis on 21 years waiting and watching and at it still, November 1873. This was an interesting review of the progress of the world during the period in question towards the return of Christ and the establishment of the kingdom of God. It covered the career of Louis Napoleon, the Crimean check on Russian aggression, the overthrow of Austria by Prussia, the fall of the French Empire, the fall of the temporal power of the papacy, and the beginnings of the Jewish movement for restoration. Prophecy had been fulfilled and was fulfilling, and notwithstanding all troubles and controversies, there was good hope of a speedy deliverance.